The Teach Middle East podcast is brought to you by Schoolfinder.ae. Schoolfinder.ae is a comprehensive schools directory serving the United Arab Emirates. Is your school a member? Go to Schoolfinder.ae to find out more. Now, enjoy this episode. everyone. Welcome back to the Teach Middle East podcast. I'm in a more relaxed space today and I'm chatting with Cam Chohan. She is the Director General of the ECIS. If you don't know who she is and you don't know the organization, she's about to fill us in. You are listening to the Teach Middle East podcast, connecting, developing and empowering educators. Hi, Cam. It's so good to see you. Hello. It's great to be invited on your podcast. So thank you for the invite. And it's wonderful to see you again. Oh, it's so good to see you. Just offline, just to catch up as we've known each other for, I think, about three or four years now. It's probably going to be about four going on five. And uh, because we met at the first leadership conference and this year is the fourth and we missed a year because of you know what. So uh-huh. it would have been the fifth one, but because of COVID, we missed a year. So about four or five years going on. So it's good to see you in person. Well, see your face. <laughs> Absolutely. So just like you said, I'm the executive director of ECIS. And I've worked with ECIS now for about five years. And I became the executive director about two years ago. So I'm the first person of colour to be an executive director for any of these international schools, associations globally. So for me, doing a lot of the DEIJ work, which I know we're going to discuss, is really my life's work. But to fill you in a little bit about ECIS, we support international schools in thought leadership and professional development. We do lots of middle leader courses. We have special interest groups and run special interest conferences. This year, we've got our PE conference coming up and also a student support conference coming up, which is at a school in Athens, and we're calling it the Inclusion Conference. We also run a leadership conference and a teacher's conference. And we're there as a support structure for our schools. We build relationships and we'll help connect them with people that can assist them in whatever they need, whether it's accreditation with one of our partners, CIS or NIASC. We just are there as the life force for our schools. Okay, brilliant. So I have Cam on the podcast today to talk DEIJ because she is really doing some good work in the space, some necessary work, some hard work, because DEIJ work is not for the faint hearted. Let's just put that out there. And so I want to kind of just jump in quickly and just get your definition of DEIJ. So for anybody who's listening, sort of like, what are they talking about? What is it? Yeah. So for me, that DEIJ work is all about justice for people. I want equal access to opportunity for everybody, not for people that have on their applications university names or they have certain sounding names. You know, I've done a lot of research into this for many years. You know, if your name's Mohammed, it's much harder to get your CV looked at, to get jobs. And it's about those little changes. We recently launched the International Task Force for anti-discrimination. And I'm just going to give you the vision of that because actually it's just a one-line vision. And if we could achieve that, it would go a long way to solving some of the problems we have. Can I share my screen? 
Yes, you can. You can do. It is mainly audio, this podcast. So lots of people listen to it on our podcast on Spotify. But for my YouTube tribe, she's going to share her screen. <laughs> okay, okay, here we go. So part of this work, we've come together in collaboration with ALOC, Kevin Simpson, who's just doing amazing work in this arena and is a real leader. Ecolint, that's a school where the IB and ECIS were founded. It's the first international school in the world and obviously the International Baccalaureate. And our mission together, collectively, is to provide an environment that allows everyone to flourish by promoting practices that eliminate racism and discrimination of all kinds in schools. And the vision for this work would be for international schools that are truly diverse, inclusive, safe, equitable and welcoming for communities for all students, for all staff and all families. So really, we wanted to make it really simple and easy for people to be able to understand what we're trying to do, not yeah. to have a long mission statement. But for me personally as well, I grew up in the West Midlands in the UK, and it was a hotbed of racial tension. Malcolm X visited in 1965, obviously a long time before I was born, to, <laughs> to you know, help communities there because the way they were treating was being, you know, reported in the news, the level of racism. And also the Enoch Powell speech, the infamous speech, Rivers of Blood, was actually delivered in the constituency where I grew up in Wolverhampton. It was called the Rivers of Blood. And any of you that haven't ever read or seen that speech, I would recommend that you have a look at it. And that was delivered, you know, not that long ago in the 70s. So for me, it's my life's work and as being the first person of colour, you know, how can we lift people up onto this platform? How can we make sure that every voice is heard? And one of the things that really drives me on, so I recently read a book, it's called The Manifesto of Never Giving Up. And in that book, she details how racism affects children, because I think we're all brought up with that, you know, words won't hurt me, but bricks might break my bones. Well, that's not true. If you look at research, you know, children who have discrimination in their lives. It's a marker for disease in later life. Mm -hmm. and, and it really does cause deep-rooted, long-lasting trauma. So we need to be aware of that and just not think it doesn't matter what you're called because, you know, it won't hurt you because it does. Yeah. When you talk to people about this kind of work, especially in international schools, what's the reaction from both sides, so from the staff, even the parents and the leaders, what kind of reaction do you get? So very fortunately, most of the leaders are now on board and they realise the value of this work. They've seen reports from McKinsey's, from lots of people, saying what diversity brings, you know, how having a diverse workforce just makes organisations so much better. So most leaders are on board with the work, I have to say. But, you know, the problem with DEIJ work is sometimes people just see it as an add-on. It's mm. just additional they're doing to everything else that they're doing. And quite recently, we turned up to deliver a workshop and it was almost audible with 105 people we were delivering this workshop to. It was like, oh, it's another DEIJ workshop. So before you even deliver the work, you have to get them on board. And we've done this before where you turn up and there's resistance, but then through the work, you can normally show them that there's little things they can do. Because I think as well, people think, how are we ever going to change this? This has always been in place. How do we change it? I worked a long time ago with the government behavioral insights team here in the UK. 
on the nudge theory by Thaler. How do you move things along a little at a time? And that's what we try to do at ECIS and I try to do. It's just little things that bring systemic change. So through my career as an educator, I've always helped young people with their CVs, with interview skills. And then what happened was I turned 50 and it dawned on me that there was only a certain number of people I could help. So what I want to do through the platform or my own voice is to say to people, when you look at CVs, when you look at job applications, when you look at young people, I want you to see the whole story. If they're spelling mistakes on their CVs, it means that their parents haven't got a network of people that can check and make their CVs wonderful. Think about that whole person, you know, and it's about bringing those little systemic changes. So even if when people look at CVs, if they looked at them differently, that brings a huge change. And if we think about that ripple effect, we can drop a little rock and it makes that massive ripple effect. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. So I don't know if people know, but ECIS is actually a really small organization. There's eight of us that work at ECIS. But if you Google D-E-I-J, ECIS comes up at the top five, and that's globally. And that's happened organically through the work we do. We haven't paid for that. In fact, you can all try it now. I'm going to give you a minute and I'm going to do it too. So if you go to your device and you just Google D-E-I-J. There we are. Right there. Wow. And you have to click on it to make the magic trick keep happening, everyone. But again, that proves that little actions bring big change. And that's what we want to do through the task force as well. Tell us a little bit more about that task force. Certainly. In fact, we've got a meeting after this meeting today for the leadership committee. So what we did was we came together at the school in Geneva in late October and we set up, people worked in groups, so there's six working groups. And through those groups, we want to bring changes. So the focus is we want to use our collective resources and expertise to partner with school communities. And these are the six groups. So we've got governance curriculum, accreditation, leadership, recruitment and agency. Okay. So through these working groups, you know, we want to set up charters. We want to say if we do this in schools, it would work better. So it's to bring change through each of these little things. But what we want to be really mindful of is not to set up lots of expectations. There have got to be things that are quick wins for people. They think, yeah, I can change that. Or I could ask my teachers or my school communities to change this. And I know that's what would happen. Right. And we want to bring together people so that we can share our resources, our expertise, because We need to do the work together. The other thing we talk to schools all the time about is it's got to be about the work and not the people. You know, this is work that we all need to do. Right. Let's talk about some of the issues that, you know, schools are facing when implementing DEIJ practices into their everyday. You know, what are some of the roadblocks? What are some of the obstacles? So some of the roadblocks and obstacles are misinformation. So what happens is, you know, we've heard of some of the cases where the parents are like, I don't want my children to be seen as the people that cause this harm. Mm. And, you know, and I think framing the work is really important and thinking about how it will be perceived, you know, and how do we stay on the journey? And I think as well, what we always say to schools is it's not really a destination, it's a journey. And everyone is a different point in that journey. Right. And it's one of the biggest things. How do we take everyone on that journey? 
with kindness and thinking about where they are. And, you know, and then where do you draw that line between being kind and mindful, but then being able to say, actually, I think that's really not right. And you can't say or do that. Yeah. And that's the line, isn't it? That's the line that it's really difficult with. You know, I was at a conference recently and somebody asked me about my own heritage. And, you know, when I said my parents were from India, they said, oh, of course you have Indian bone structure. We're a country of a billion people. We don't all have the same bone structure. So it's all those things. And I actually said that to her. And then it would make her think for the next time she made that comment to somebody else. Yeah. Another question I have is a lot of teachers, their complaints are, you know, normally about recruitment. What are some things that schools can make sure they're doing to ensure that they're just in their recruitment practices? Absolutely. So we've been doing a lot of work on this, actually. We're running a course in inclusive recruitment. The part of it is coming back to that thing that I said to you earlier, thinking about the whole story of that person. You know, why did they go to that university? Well, maybe they didn't have access to that university. Yeah. But my dad arrived here in the late 60s from India, and I was born in the 70s, and I went to university in the 80s. He didn't know what a Russell Group University was. They didn't have the money to pay for accommodation. So I went to the local university where you could get on a bus and get to and get home in quite quickly. You know, you have to think about the whole person's story. Is it really that important? What a nice to have and what must we have? Mm. And actually, look in the world of recruitment. More and more now, people are talking about people having the same values. Mm. People have the same values. Can we then, perhaps in the job, provide the skills they need? I know for teachers it's different. We've partnered with a Times Educational Supplement to provide an online IPGCE, which is quite affordable. So teachers that we work with in Thailand or Bangladesh or India can actually then get a university certificate from the University of London that says they have an IPGCSE. Mm-hmm. So that helps them get jobs. And also we know that things are shifting. There isn't going to be enough teachers like there used to be. So we need to train teachers in-house. And isn't it important for people like me and you to see teachers who look like us? Yeah. I never had a teacher of colour. Oh. Never, ever had a teacher of colour. But wouldn't I have loved to have had a teacher who looked like me or looked like somebody in my family? Yeah. And when we say that, a lot of times I always say, and it's also important for the kids who aren't of the same ethnic backgrounds as us, to have teachers like us. Absolutely. No. It's the richness of the whole experience. Yeah. It's the richness of the colour and the diversity and the culture that we bring. Yes. And it's a wonderful way to learn about other people, isn't it? It is. Because if we learnt more about other people, there'd be less fear, wouldn't there? Certainly. We would learn how similar we are and how we can all learn and grow together want to talk about some of the language around recruitment that schools really should stop using. What are some of those? So I think we were just about to talk about this. So we use a volunteer whose first language is Spanish and her second language is English. Mm. And she really wanted to work at this school that was quite local to her. And she called me up and she said, Cam, they won't give me an interview because they said I'm not a native English speaker because my first language was Spanish. And she speaks perfectly well in English. 
And I then phoned that head and I said to them, I said, so I didn't speak English till I was seven years old. My parents sent me to school at five, speaking my home language of Punjabi, not with any English at all. So I said, would I not be interviewed for that job? Because I'm not a native English speaker. And unfortunately, she didn't say, yes, Cam, of course we will interview Mel and take ECI's membership. She was very reluctant. But what I'm hoping is there was a little change there. The next time she gets a CV like that, she'll think, actually, it doesn't really matter because that, you know, odd woman from ECIS called me up, called Cam and said she wasn't a native English speaker, but she spoke quite good English. So it's always taking every opportunity to make people think, Next time something happens, maybe they'll be able to react differently. But schools certainly shouldn't be using things like native English speakers. And I think a lot of the recruitment agencies are working towards that. But how do we really make it our mission? You know, because it's very easy to keep doing the same thing. And I always say this to schools because they'll say, oh, we're doing a lot of work on diversity. And then they'll take me to meet their senior leadership team. And all 11 of the people are white. And I'll say, well, you know, how are you doing this work? And they'll say, well, you know, there's not enough applicants out there. And I always say to them, if you're fishing the same pond with the same fishing tool, you're going to get the same people. You've got to be creative. Use your, you know, communities. Who's interested? Who could potentially be in this role in a couple of years and we can start getting them ready now? Mm. When you look at CVs, don't rank them because they went to Cambridge University or they had this or they had that. Again, think about the story. Who hasn't got access to those things? Yeah. You know, and it's having a a really 360 degree perspective. And then the other thing I've been talking to schools about is have somebody independent that will challenge you. Because if you're all the same and then you all say, well, we can't take them because of this and this, you'll all agree because you're in a homogenous group. But you need someone to challenge you to go, well, hang on. Why is that? Would that really make a difference? I had a school call me from Kuwait recently. So, you know, in Kuwait, things are very different to how they are in Western Europe. And the head of the school said to me that a parent had contacted him and he'd said, you know, COVID's now over. We need to get more English and American teachers back at the school instead of, you know, our native teachers. And the native teachers are doing a wonderful job just as well as anybody else. And he turned to the parent and he said, well, that won't be happening. This is what we're doing at the school and we'll be staying with the staff we have. But if it's not the right environment for your child, you know, please feel free to look elsewhere. They did nothing. So again, it's challenging people rather than making an excuse and saying, well, we had to get more American white or English white teachers in because that's what the parents wanted. That's a lot of international schools excuse. Yeah, of course it is. But it is just an excuse because if you're brave enough to turn around like this head and say, actually, we're not going to do that. Parents will look at their child and they'll think they're very happy. I'm not going to just create upheaval for the sake of it. Yeah. That's the thing, right? Because when you find a head like that, you know, they need to be going out there and telling other heads, really, that this is possible because a lot of heads just start with, oh, the parents don't want. And I've seen parents who really say some silly things. You know, I've had parents when I was a school leader, black woman, say to me, oh, why can't we have more native speakers, which is called for white Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's the point? I mean, the teachers that we have are doing a brilliant job. Oh, yeah. you know. And then there is this thing of accent. What do you say to schools when they bring that up? 
about accent. Yes. So they say, oh, I don't want certain accents and they don't want the kids to have certain accents. I've even heard parents say silly things like that. Don't want my child with such and such an accent. Well, accents is a really interesting one because there's been lots of research done on that as well. Just because we hear a certain accent doesn't mean we pick it up. And actually, it's really good for global citizens of tomorrow because they're going to be talking to people all over the world. Did we not just see that in COVID where leaders from across the world had to come together to have those meetings? So I think people should say, and I've said this myself, the next generations are going to work in a global world where they're going to need to understand other people's accents. They're not just going to be talking to people in the United Kingdom who speak the Queen's English. You know, hardly half the population of of England speaks the Queen English. But, you know, it's like it's so inward looking. I mean, Mm. unfortunately for us, we have had those problems in the UK where I feel we're a bit inward looking with Brexit and all the other madnesses that have happened here. Yeah. But we can't be inward looking anymore. The world's not going to function like that. And the biggest pandemic and crisis of a generation, we have to speak to everybody. Yeah. Try to figure our way out. Yeah. Again, it's about having those conversations. So coming back to what you said, so if we do hear a really great story or a head, we will do a conversation with them. We will give them a platform. This year for our leadership conference, we've got Dr. Mary Ashen from International School of Ghana coming to talk to three other heads because actually we shouldn't be paying lots of money to people who you can see on YouTube. Bring people in from our own community. So when one of my heads has a question from the other schools, they can just email Dr. Mary and say, you know, at the leadership conference, you said this. Well, how could I implement it in my school? Yeah. You know, let's think about things in a different way. I used to have 27 maths teachers that I used to have in a department. And maths teachers are so difficult to recruit, as we all know. So I bought in other people. So one of the best maths teachers I bought in was a rugby coach that had an engineering degree. He's now a head of maths in a school local to me here. But what I did was I put him in with my grade one teacher and he did his teaching qualification. So he did the theory, but he got the practical where he could see that if someone pulled a phone out, what James would do and how he would react to that. So think about things creatively. Yeah, Teaching is just the best profession in the world. Why are we limiting it by saying we've got a shortage of teachers, but we can't take them because... They're not from this university or they're not from this country or they don't have that visa. We've got to be creative in our thinking. And then when we're challenged, we've got to have the courage to say, actually, you know, your child's doing great here. Look at what we're achieving here. And if it doesn't feel right for your child or it's not right for you, well, maybe you need to look elsewhere. 99% of the time, people won't move. No, they won't. They won't. But use it as an excuse, like you said. Don't use it as an excuse. Don't come and then say, well, I'm getting these teachers because that's what the parents said. It was a comment and you need to stand firm in what you believe in. Exactly. You know, I always say that stand in what you believe in. Everyone will think, well, you know what? Maybe that's a good idea. But if you're wibbly wobbly yourself, everybody just wants to then, you know, move you further. Exactly. Uh, We're wrapping up, but I just want to just get from you sort of like quick wins, actions that school can take to get quick wins as they move their institutions, especially school leaders. We're assembling school leaders at MESLC on the 22nd and 23rd of February in Dubai again. And so DEIJ will be on the agenda as it was last year. What are some quick actions, quick wins that schools can get? What can they do? Starting tomorrow, they've listened to the podcast. 
what can they do? Okay, I'm going to just give you two, actually. Actually, I might give you three. So one of them is the recruitment. Look at recruitment differently. Have someone independent go, well, why did you make that decision? You know, so that's one. Secondly, look at your libraries. I never saw a book with an Indian child in it for the whole time I grew up. And I love reading. You know, I read all the time. So isn't that sad? Wouldn't it have been nice to me have seen a cam in a book? So mm-hmm. look at your libraries. Go look at your libraries. Put something in there. Thirdly, with your members of staff, send them two books a year of things that you want them to read that will make their understanding better of these subjects. Just right. two books. Send them to all your faculty. And if you want recommendations, send me an email and I'll send them to you. Brilliant. Up the reading list. There are three little small things that will really move things on. Gift your staff a couple of books so that they can educate themselves. And if they can't do that, get them Blinkist. Blinkist is an audio tool where you can just listen to books very quickly. Do that. Put things in your library that children can see themselves reflected in and look at recruitment and get someone outside your own little circle where you're all the same to say, why are we making those decisions? There are three small little things that could bring huge impact. Brilliant. It's a great place to end the pod. Thank you so much, Cam. Wonderful to see you as always. And thank you so much for allowing me to be with you. Certainly my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Teach Middle East podcast. Visit our website, teachmiddleeast.com and follow us on social media. The links are in the show notes.